Are you ready to dive into the powerful truth the Kingdom of Heaven has for us? Let's join our host, Ruth Hendrickson, for Real Truth with Ruth as we dive into the Word of God. Hey everyone, welcome back. So glad that you're with us. We're going to talk about those times that at least I'm guilty of. I don't know about you, but when we pray, not expecting God to move. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, those those times. So we're going to dive into a piece of scripture that I had the more questions and answers, but there's so many golden nuggets that we can pull out of it. I thought we'd tackle it anyway. So before we do that, I want to welcome everyone, especially those of you who are joining us for the first time. My name is Ruth Hendrickson. I am so glad that you're with us. You can find more about the ministry and about what all we have to offer by visiting ruthhendrickson.org. You're going to find all sorts of resources on there and you'll find blogs on there and, and connections so you can get to the podcast and all sorts of goodies. So again, I just want to invite you to visit ruthhendrickson.org. And another thing, if you haven't read it, I have a book that I wrote back in 2018. It's called Positioned, How to Be Aligned and Empowered to walk in your God-given destiny. I just want to encourage you to grab it, read it. I think it'll really help you. There's also a workbook that goes with it. And that workbook is made to be a companion. So you can actually turn this into a personal Bible study. Uh, We also have church groups that are using it. So, but you can read a chapter of the book and then grab the workbook. And that takes you through five more days of additional information going deeper. So anyways, fun times. There we go. So uh, do you ever pray and expect God not to move? You can shout out a yes, you could shout out a no, but I would suspect that most of us at some time or another have actually prayed, not expecting God to move. So with that, just in the back of our minds, I want to jump into Acts 12, and I'm going to read one through five out of the Passion Translation. We're going to talk about that some, and then we're going to actually go into the point where the believers have been praying, but we find out they're not really expecting God to move. And again, they're people just like you and just like me. So, all right, let's dive into the word. During this period, King Herod incited persecution against the church, causing great harm to the believers. He even had the apostle Jacob, John's brother, beheaded. When Herod realized how much this had pleased the Jewish leaders, he had Peter arrested and thrown into prison during the Feast of Passover. Sixteen soldiers were assigned to guard him until Herod could bring him to public trial, immediately after the Passover celebrations were over. The church went into a season of intense intercession, asking God to free him. Okay, little tidbits here. I get all confused about the King Herods. I don't know about you, but I do. So let's go through that real quick, sort that out. There were actually four different King Herods um, who had ruled over Palestine. What they had in common besides their name, they were all wicked, every single one of them. So the first one we know is Herod the Great, and he's the one who tried to kill Jesus shortly after his birth by having all the males under two put to death. If you want to look that up, you can take a look at Matthew 2, 13 to 16. His son, Herod number two, otherwise known as Herod Antipas, was responsible for the death of John the Baptist. You can look that up in Matthew 14, 1 to 12. Herod Agrippa the Elder is the one who put James to death. Now, the Passion Translation uses Jacob instead of the name James. It's interchangeable. Same person. This is what we're talking about right here. So um, technically, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, and that's who we're dealing with in this passage. 
And then Herod number four is Herod Agrippa, the younger. And he's the one who later presides over the trial of the Apostle Paul. And you can look that up in Acts 25 and 26. So four Herods, all very wicked, all cause a lot of trouble for the church, okay? All are trying to squelch the movement of God on the face of this earth. Now, Acts 12 begins with during this period. You can just say during this period. So that tells us that we need to ask the question, what period is this? It was actually a period of explosive growth in the church. So there was explosive growth in the church going on, which ushered in the persecution. What I found is we often talk about the church growing because of persecution. So what we could see is it can happen either way, because I think it's important to know, especially a lot of the rhetoric we use and the way that we use it. Well, you know, we, the church hasn't been persecuted. That's why we're not growing. And, you know, the church only grows under persecution. That's not necessarily true. Okay, right here, we have massive, massive growth in the church. We have the Gentiles being included into the body of Christ. Uh, the Jews, the Jewish believers are recognizing that the Gentiles are being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're, they're seeing what God's doing. They're excited about it. They're, they're truly becoming brothers in Christ. The result of that expansive growth in the church is persecution. So, um, so it's a whole new concept. I mean, the Jewish people are being rattled because their cultural bias is being shaken. The, you know, there, there's so much going on. Things aren't feeling quite right. Their laws are being challenged. Just this, all of this is going on. Because remember, the Jewish people had added a lot of laws to what Moses had. So, so their system, their religious system was very, very complex. But here's what I want to say is anytime the church takes a stand, ground will be shaken. Anytime the church grows, ground will be shaken. Anytime there's persecution, yes, the church is also going to grow because that's just the way God works. So, but again, anytime the church takes a stand, ground will be shaken. And I just want to say that, I, I want to hear you say that right now. Like anytime the church takes a stand, anytime I take a stand, there could be an earthquake that happens. We really need to understand that when we as the body of Christ take a stand, things change. Sometimes it doesn't always look the way we want it to look. But when we take a stand, things change. So here we are with King Herod. And he was the one who was actually inciting the persecution against the church. Government leader is inciting the persecution against the church. Now, it's unlikely it was for persecution himself. He was trying to, to please the religious Jewish leaders of the time, okay? The, the Jewish people who were under his command. And so basically, he's trying to find favor among the general population. So what happened is he goes and has uh, James or Jacob, depending on the translation, arrested, John's brother, um, and he, he has him beheaded, so he kills him. And, he, and it goes on, verse 4 says, when Herod realized how much this pleased the Jewish leaders, why was Peter arrested? Because the Jewish leaders were pleased at James being beheaded. Scripture doesn't state that, that Peter had done anything wrong. It was all a ploy to please the Jews. It was all a ploy. The other thing, just a little side note on James' death, is he was actually put to death with a sword. This is very important. 
because that's usually the way that political crimes were punished. When the body of Christ begins to rise up and impact government, which we are called to do, by the way, impact government, we're to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, which means we are to have an impact on the governmental system. The status quo gets shaken. Okay, and I just found that really interesting with this, that, um, you know, James was put to death with the sword. So let me put this another way. Um, as the church grew, the political status quo was being challenged as a higher power gained access on the earth. If you think back to when Jesus died and was placed in the tomb, there was enough fear that his body would be stolen, that they placed guards at the tomb. Remember that? So here we are with Peter. Peter's been arrested, of course. Why again? Because the people were happy when James was killed, when he was murdered. So here's Peter being arrested and they go and they place four groups of soldiers or as the Passion Translation states, 16 soldiers. So what happened is they would they would split the 16 into groups of four and these four would rotate through the watch, uh, or the watch hours of the night. Every three hours, I believe it was, they would rotate. And what they did is they, they would chain a guard on each side of the prisoner. And then the other two would be at the door. And this continual guarding, it was meant for the most dangerous of prisoners. Okay, it, that's, that's who it was meant for. It wasn't common practice. It was only done for the most dangerous of prisoners. So we can also make an assumption that since Herod put James to death, that was ultimately his plan for Peter. That's, you know, that's kind of a no brainer there. Peter was arrested during Passover. He was thrown in prison until Passover was completed. And then Herod's plan was to have a trial immediately. And so what happens is in this space, in this time frame of Passover, where they're having to wait to have the trial, verse five tells us that the church went into an intense season of intercession. And you could just say right now, an intense season of intercession. And that concept of fervent prayer in Greek has the idea of both praying intently and also continuously. So it was around the clock intense prayer for, for Peter's life. They knew what had happened to James. They were contending for Peter's life. Now think about the believers here, this group of, of Christians that had gathered together. They had no political influence. They had no military might. They had no political lobby. But what did they have? They had the ear of Almighty God. I love what one person says. He says that we pray because we know what we cannot do, but what he can do. So, so let me summarize the rest of this. So the night before the trial, there Peter is sleeping, and he would have been chained between two of the guards, one on either side. Like I said, two others at the door. God could have released, just say God could have released him anytime during Passover. But as God tends to do, he waits till the last minute. Isn't that what you found? God has this habit of waiting till the last minute. And I don't know why. I don't understand it. It annoys me no end. But that's what he tends to do. Why? I guess so he gets the glory. Okay. Why? Because he wants us to turn to him. Why? Because he wants us to trust. I don't know. Those are just some things floating through my head. We could step back and say, well, he knows best. Yes, he does. Absolutely, he knows best. But I'll tell you, there are sure times when we don't understand it, or at least I don't. Um, 
you know, again, humanly speaking, as, as you know, Peter's there, every precaution had been taken. But here's what we need to understand. Even these soldiers who were guarding him were no match for God. Now, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Actually, he probably didn't have his sandals on. He was probably barefoot, chained in the inner of inner dungeons. Don't try to relate it to, to the dungeons we have today. Try to think of the dirtiest, most horrible dungeon that you've ever seen in a movie or for, for those of you um, who might like live in the U.S. In a, in a third world country or something. I mean, the dingiest, the horrible, worst conditions you can think of and then probably make it worse. That's probably where he is. But he's sound asleep. How could he sleep in this moment? I think I'd be awake because I'd be questioning God. But he's sound asleep. In other words, I want to suggest he's in perfect peace. But he's sound asleep between these guards. And all of a sudden, he's awakened by an angel. And I, I love what scripture says. Okay. The angel struck him on, the, on his side. It was no love tap. It's like, get up, man, get up. You know, the angel was on a mission. Not only did the angel strike him on the side, but a bright light fills the room. The chains fall off. Peter's let out of the prison and the guards don't have a clue. Just say the guards don't have a clue. It's the way God works, huh? Sometimes we don't have a clue either, which is the case right here with Peter. He didn't have a clue either because he thinks it's a vision. And it really takes him a bit to realize what's happening. So what does he do when he's out and he comes to his senses and he realizes that it, this is not a vision. It's real life. He goes and he goes to the house where the saints are praying and he knocks on the door. And of course the servant girl comes and she's so shocked. She forgets to let him in. And she goes back and she tells the people that he's at the door. And remember, these are the believers who have been praying fervently for his life. And what's their first assumption? That he's already been killed. Then depending on the translation, it says either it'll say it's his angel or it'll say it's his ghost. Most say it's his ghost. In other words, they immediately jump to the conclusion that it cannot be Peter standing outside the door. It must be his ghost. Here's the key. And this is what I started with. The people are praying, but they're still expecting him to die. That really got me thinking, you know, here's James is killed. Scripture doesn't state anyone's praying. But it certainly sh shakes the atmosphere as it brought about an intense persecution. Herod wants to please the people. He goes after Peter and the saints pray. Peter's set free, but he still has to leave town quickly. So I sat here and I'm going, okay, what are the differences between these accounts, between what happened with James and what happened with Peter? Well, one is an increasing level of persecution. It's definitely getting hotter for the believers. The other thing is the prayers of the saints. And honestly, I'm not sure what to do with that because we could easily form a theology that says that if somebody's not healed or the dead's not raised or, or somebody's not released from prison, that we haven't prayed enough. There are times that that could very well be true. Absolutely. But God's also sovereign. And there's so much that that we don't understand. You know, what we do know is that sometimes God moves in a way that we want him to. And other times he does not. Can anyone relate? You know, uh, there's there's times when, you know, we don't understand here. When we look at this account in scripture, there's a great move of God. You would think people would be rejoicing at the freedom that's being received. But because the political establishment was being challenged just by the growth of the gospel instead of ushered in persecution. James is martyred. Peter set free. 
all we could do is trust God in the mix of the areas that we don't understand. What if somebody was praying for James? And yet he was killed. How many times have we been praying for something? But the, the challenges, I think what we go into is we, we know that we need to pray and we say that prayer changes things, but we put up the safeguard, or at least I can within my own life. I'll put up the safeguard that, you know, I try to guard myself from the disappointment if things don't work out quite the way I think they should. And so somehow we have to learn to come around and, and say, God, this is who you are. You know, we, we have the whole of the New Testament to look at. And, and say, God, this is your promises. This is who you are. And even though there's times when, when my James is martyred and I don't understand, there's also times when my Peter is set free. We have to wrestle through the different nuances. But man, it's so important. I was so convicted about the times when I prayed, not expecting the answer, not expecting the breakthrough, expecting what I'm afraid of to come to pass. Because I'm so afraid I'm going to be disappointed or maybe I don't believe God can move with that type of power or that type of authority. But no matter what, no matter how much they wrestled with this, the saints gathered. They banded together. They came into community. They didn't isolate. And they began to pray. And in the midst of that, in God's infinite wisdom, the chains fell off a man in prison and he walked out. He knocked on a door. He eventually got to go in. They got to see he was really alive. And then he had to get out of town because they were going to come looking for him. What do we do? When we pray, how often have we prayed and not ex expected God to move? I think we need to start with repenting and really asking for his forgiveness. And we need to, again, demand that our experiences come into alignment with the word of God, rather than dumbing down the word of God and thinking it's a ghost when God's manifest, because we're not expecting the fullness of the answer. So let's just take, I, we need to close this up. I know I've gone a little long. Um, let's just pray, you know, let's go before the father and repent for the times when we prayed, not expecting him to move. And um, let's get back on the right track. Let's look for and expect the chains to fall off and the prisoners to be set free, the miraculous to happen. Whether it's in persecution or not in persecution, whether it ushers in persecution or not, whether, you know, we, we have to align, we have to align with the word of God. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you and God, we ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness, God, for the many times when I prayed, just like, just like these saints did here, I prayed. I've known the words. I've even put my heart and soul into it. But the belief system has struggled. Where the belief system has been expecting a different outcome because of what I've seen or what I've experienced. So, Father, right now, I just lay all that before you and I ask for your forgiveness, God. We ask for your forgiveness, Father. We ask for a realigning of our vision. 
that we can see the miracles, that that we can hear the chains falling off, Father, that we can just come in alignment with what you're doing in that moment. And Father, for the times when we don't see the breakthrough, when we don't understand those moments of grief, of sorrow, of question, Father, we make a commitment right now to hold on to you no matter what, to hold on to your word, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when our hearts are broken, because God, you truly are worthy of it all. And Lord, we cannot afford to stop short of the fullness of our walk with you. Whether we're in in great times or in seasons of persecution, whether we understand or don't understand, God, you are faithful and you are worthy of all praise. So right now, God, we reposition ourselves or we align ourselves with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the great I am, the almighty, the creator of the universe. Lord, as we pray, give us that fervor and passion and expectation. God, we ask for the expectation. We ask for that expectation. God, we just want to partner with you. We want to see mountains moved. We want to see political agendas changed. We want to see cultural issues come into alignment with the word of God. Father, for too long, we've been quiet and we've prayed without expectation. Forgive us, God. So again, Lord, we just pray for an increase of that expectation. We commit ourselves to you, God. We commit ourselves. We're going to pull up that that expectation and the experience to align with scripture rather than trying to pull scripture down. We're going to pull up into the heavenly realm. Lord, we invite heaven to come to earth so that we see from that perspective, so that we walk from that perspective, so that we pray from that perspective. So God, we just look to you. We give you the praise and the glory. And Father, help us look with expectancy for you to move. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to comment, like, review, and share it with others to help us reach more people. We also invite you to like and follow Ruth Hendrickson Ministries on Facebook or subscribe to the YouTube channel. We welcome your prayers and financial partnership to make this podcast possible. If you would like to financially support this ministry, please visit our website, ruthhendrickson.org.